0: We've been in a series called the EQ series, emotional quotient, and talking about our spiritual growth. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. How do you know when someone is spiritually mature? You know, oftentimes people think of uh, spiritual people for some reason as being you know powerful people, you know, able to you know influence things around them and. Uh, this week, after uh, the day we had with the really heavy, cold rain, I was sitting in my my big chair like I normally do uh, to study, and I thought to myself, it's right next to a gas fireplace, and I thought to myself, I'd like to turn on my gas fireplace. And just then, I looked over at my fireplace, and the switch came on, and uh, the flame came on, and Tracy was passing through the family room, and I was kind of impressed with this, just how miraculously you know my fireplace had come on with me just thinking about it and she jokingly said oh yeah so you've gone to another level haven't you you know and and, and the truth is is that i probably forgot that i had turned it on before i sat down <laughs> and then the flame probably came on that's probably the truth of it but oftentimes people associate spirituality with the spooky or some sort of power and after all that's true i mean jesus did some really powerful things. But how do I know where I am spiritually? How do I know where I am? And what are some of the indicators of spirituality? And our one of the indicators of spirituality is our own emotional health. You can't separate those two. And so this premise of this series is we want to talk about, you know, how do I move into sp- spiritual maturity and how do I move into emotional maturity? Wholeness and holiness are related. And oftentimes the people that we struggle with in Christianity and we say, man, look at the hypocrisy, is because they're acting holy while not being whole in the way they relate to other people. So how do I move into that? How do I be a person of peace? You know, a person of peace usually he's done some really deep work of breaking free from their past to have emotional peace. And we all deal with stuff. We all face stuff in our lives, you know, dramatic moments that mark us and shape us and impact us. And how do we process through those events and those influences in our own spirituality? So today's talk is about our journey through the wall. We use all different kinds of metaphors about life. Some say life is hard. Some say life is good. Some say life is a game or life is a war. It's a battle. Or some say life is an adventure. And largely the way you describe life really depends on where you're at or the season that you're in. And so if you're joining us today uh, and you've not decided yet to follow Jesus, you're welcome here regardless of what you believe or don't believe. Uh, If you have a Christian background, or this is your first time stepping into a church, you might consider yourself the least spiritual person that you know, but you're still welcome here. We're all in a process and a journey together. And the truth of it is, is that none of us have the spiritual thing all figured out. And so why try to act like we do? And so one of the most frequently used metaphors when we talk about the spiritual life, is a journey. The dominant image of the Bible for a follower of God is a journey, that we're walking with God, that we're going somewhere with Him. And one of the big stories of the Bible is the people of God making this journey out of Egypt, out of physical slavery, emotional slavery, and spiritual slavery, and then going through this wilderness wandering in their journey, and then arriving at the promised land to face a very significant wall and multiple walls when they get into their promised land. You see, when we're following Jesus in this journey, I want us to begin to imagine where we are. Where are you today in your spiritual journey? For example, like any journey, there are starts, there's stops, there's dead ends, detours, going fast, and then going really, really slow, and then sometimes you just get stuck. There's just kind of this plateau. You're kind of going through the faithful motions. Think about all the twists and the turns in your life that you've already taken. The journey of following God is this calling where God keeps calling spirit to spirit in our lives and calling us to move forward and to even move through walls. God called Abraham to leave his entire family, to leave where he grew up, and to relocate his family in a land that was far away from him. God called Moses at age 80 through a burning bush to start a 40-year journey through a desert. God called David to leave the comfort of his home, living out in green pastures with sheep, how peaceful and wonderful that was to fighting Goliath. God often calls us from a place of comfort to a place of growth. Imagine your own journey of faith. You know, many of us uh, relate to, we can relate to these general phases, if you will, and I want you to think about these phases of of your journey. I want you to kind of try to identify, who am I in this? Which phase fits me? What phase am I in? The first phase of a spiritual journey is awareness. We become aware of God. The second is community. We become part of a church community. We begin to learn about God and what it means to follow Jesus. Phase three is serving. We get involved. We start serving. We start helping other people. We uh, discover our gifts and our talents, and we use them for God's glory, and we serve other people. Phase four is the wall. We hit a wall spiritually, and when we do, we begin this inward journey. We're asking ourselves some deeper, more reflective questions. Phase five is grounded. We pass through the wall, whatever the crisis or of our faith, and we pass through it with this greater sense of resolve. And we continue serving others with an even greater passion now. But the difference is, is that we give ourselves from a grounded place in God. We're at peace. There's a stillness. There's a quietness that characterizes our work for God. And we're not just busy doing, but we're living from a place of a well-ordered heart and a sense of wholeness. Phase six is to be transformed. We're surrendered and we're obedient to God's will. We've been transformed by His love. We, we love God, we love ourselves, and we love others. When you can love yourself, that's a big deal. When we love ourselves, when we can then love others... When we can love God, you've been transformed. And today, we want us to, I want us to look at phase four, what the ancients called the dark night of the soul or the wall. You know, none of us control the seasons of our lives, winter, spring, summer, fall. They just happen to you. So do walls. For most of us, walls like appear out of nowhere. We see them physically, but the invisible walls of our life are a lot easier to miss, and sometimes it's impossible to see them coming. A death of a family member, a job loss, a divorce. How do I get through life after divorce? A wall, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a health issue, a car accident. A deep desire to marry that still just remains unfulfilled. Or this loss of joy or this dryness in your relationship with God. When we hit a wall, we begin to to question God at the wall. We question ourselves. And we question the church. We may even question those who call themselves Christians. And sometimes when we hit a wall, we have more questions than answers. We don't know where God is in this, whatever this is. We have no idea what he's doing or or where he's taking us or or when will this all be over? One writer claims that 85% of Christians never get through the wall. They never make it through the wall. They live life this side of the wall in the wilderness, if you will. There's just a lot of stuck people. And in my experience, that's true. People live this side of the wall. And some people, they just feel spiritually stuck for long periods of time. And they try to change something that's out there when God's trying to do something that's in here. And you may be in a wall right now. You may not have thought about it as a wall, but you're facing a wall. Others have been through the wall or at the wall. And what you've done is you've just kind of basically retreated from the wall. The church wasn't what you hoped it would be. Others weren't what you hope they would be, and you slowly go backwards, or you just shut down. One of the ways you know that you've done this is you hope less. You expect less. You get excited less. You kind of dial back your passion, you kind of dial back your effort, and you kind of find a comfortable place to sit. And others of you, you're looking at me and you're going, I don't know what he's talking about. You will. Our story today, <laughs> our story today is about a man named Abraham, and at the time of the story, he's about 110 to 115 years old, and when you're 110 years old, you've faced a lot of walls in your life. He knows about walls. And in Genesis chapter 2, we pick up the story where God tells Abraham to leave his family, leave his homeland, leave his culture, leave all of his security. And he travels hundreds of miles trusting God with his future. His first wall was the breakthrough to break out and to leave what he knew. His next wall was a famine where he was living. You know, when you're following God, uh, many people become disappointed when they experience need. When the economy crashes and your family is struggling, that's a wall. Where you might wonder, you know, where is God in this? Your family back home goes, see, I told you, you missed God. Then Abraham flees to Egypt, which was another wall. Then he had a conflict with the one family member that he brought with him, his nephew Lot, and they face a wall. There's a dispute and there's a separation. There's pain with that in families. And then when, it feels, when he just feels like enough is enough and he's been out here just trying to follow God and one wall and one thing right after another, his beautiful young wife cannot bear them children. And for 25 years, she could not get pregnant. That That's a wall. There's a lot that goes on emotionally when you're facing a wall like that. And so as his, his wife tries to figure out, well, what's another way? How can I solve this? How can I fix this? How can I get around this wall? And, and she gives her, her husband, Abraham, her servant out of wedlock using her as a surrogate. However, through no fault of the child, Ishmael, who was born to them, uh, this was not the promised child that God was saying. God had something very supernatural in mind for a reason. And he wanted Abraham and he wanted Sarah. He wanted to open up supernaturally Sarah's womb to give birth to Isaac. But Ishmael is born, and Ishmael means God will hear. God loves Ishmael, but Abraham must send him away, and he has to separate from his son, Ishmael. He has no son except Ishmael at this moment. And there's this dark night of the soul for Abraham. What a grievous wall that was. What a confusing, mysterious wall that was. Which brings us to our passage today. Abraham's now somewhere between 110, 115 years old. And God has promised him the land of Canaan, his promised land. Now imagine this guy's 110, and he's still living in a tent. I get it. A lot of people were nomadic in that day and still are, but there were actually cities. When he moved from Ur, he actually had a home, not just a tent. He's been following God for a while. He left his home, and he's still trusting God all of these years later, and God's promising him that he's going to have children through Sarah, so many that they're going to be like the stars of the sky, and that he's going to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. So now he actually has this child, this one and only child, from his wife Sarah's womb, named Isaac, and they're still living in a tent, and there's still no promised land, but they have this child. Sometimes we look foolish to others when we're following God. Faith is, is living in advance what you'll sometimes only understand in reverse. Faith is not a strategy, it's obedience and trust. And most of the time, faith does not make us look rational or wise. When I was 18 years old, I felt God uh, speak to me to give away my MG convertible. It was completely paid for, and I gave it away. felt like God told me to do that. And I walked around town, everywhere I went, I walked for three months, processing whether or not I had actually heard from God, and how foolish I looked walking everywhere in town, until the breakthrough came, and God gave me this incredible van. I was a youth pastor at the time, and it turned out to be perfect. It turned out to be exactly what I needed as a youth pastor to haul youth to events. Another time, I gave away our halfplex, our, our home, to our church, just Gave it away. And we then no longer owned a home as a family. And on the outside, I probably looked foolish until one day I, was ha- I moved to this town. I was having lunch with a contractor who was a complete stranger. I literally met him at that lunch and randomly offers to build me a home at cost. And the next thing I know, within nine months, we own a home. And when we move into the home, it's now worth double. Worth double. Obedience to God brings us to these walls, these faith issues, these obstacles, these points of resistance, and frankly, points of craziness in the eyes of others. And after all that Abraham had been through, God gives him an even bigger test. He says, Abraham, give me your son, Isaac, put him on the altar and kill him. Now, depending on the day, every parent has had that thought, right? But seriously, though, We never stop facing walls or tests of our faith, whether we're young or whether we're old. And Abraham might have been thinking at this point, I am an old man. I mean, enough is enough. And when God had given him, Abraham, this dream to be a father of many nations, this dream that he would give birth to, that others would actually fulfill. But God still has this one more wall for Abraham to go through, because God is bringing Abraham somewhere. Abraham's life is symb- symbolic of the dealings of God. And the biggest wall, the most important wall, came near the end of his life. You see, God tests those he loves and those that he has a special purpose for. Whether you're young or old, it's, you know what? It's easy to trust God when you live near your family. God bless you if you get to do that. That's wonderful. It's easy to trust God when you own your own home. It's easy to trust God when you have enough. It's easy to trust God when your business is doing well and your future feels really secure. It's easy to trust God when your baby is born healthy as opposed to when you're a Christian and your baby is not born healthy. It's easy to trust God. It's easy to sing about God. Frankly, it's easy to go to church. It's easy to sit there, but then when God asks you to do something, he asks you to do something that no one knows about because he's spoken to you in a still, small voice. He's spoken to you deep into your heart, and no one will know what God has said to you unless you tell him, and once you vocalize whatever it is that God's saying to you, once you go public, you know you're going to be accountable to your words to follow through. Walls teach us something about ourselves and something about God. You don't know what kind of faith you have until it's put to the test. It's not a journey of faith until it requires something of you. And so God tells Abraham, I want you to offer your son Isaac as an offering. And apparently Abraham never spoke to Sarah about this. Imagine that conversation, telling your wife, "I feel like God really told me that we're to kill our only son." What do you think? Just awkward, right? Let's pick up in verse uh, verse seven, Genesis chapter twenty-two. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, "Father, yes, my son." Abraham replied, "The fire and wood are here," <laughs> Isaac said, "But where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" That's a little bit awkward. The kid's old enough to know there should be a lamb around here somewhere. But listen to Abraham's response. This is a man who knows God, knows God's character, and trusts God with his son's life. In verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Let's pick up verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. The point of this wall, do you believe the Lord will provide? Do you believe that? I mean, like deep down in your bones, do you believe the Lord will provide? What is it that you've been praying for? What is it that you've been waiting for? What wall are you facing right now? Do you believe the Lord will provide? God did all of this to find out what was in Abraham's heart so that he could do something that would one day be something even more profound in and through him. In this passage, if you read it, you find out that Abraham loved Isaac. Imagine you've waited so long for this child. And now your whole life is centered around the child. He's attached to the child. And it's a deep, deep love. And some of the walls that we face touch us deeply because they have to do with our children. And yet God says, I want to know if I'm first in your life. And this is a mysteriously deep thing. I don't even know how you separate it out in your own heart as a parent but I know God hasn't called us to worship our kids. And this this response that he's about to have, Abraham is so far reaching. Abraham gets to this wall and he doesn't even argue with God. He's now had so many walls. He's gone through so many things with God and he doesn't even argue. He doesn't delay, you know, Delayed obedience is disobedience. He doesn't even delay. He doesn't get like all passive aggressive with the thing. He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't throw a, you know, a temper tantrum. He doesn't get sarcastic at the wall. He, does, he doesn't shrink back. He just like immediately surrenders. This is a mature man of faith. And God asked Abraham to let go of something that he was clinging to, his only son, Isaac. Was God's gift to Abraham in his old age. There's things in our lives that God gives to us and then he asks for it back. And God wanted to know that, that he was first in Abraham's life. God also wanted to use the love of a father for his son as a prophetic story of an even greater love to come that like abraham father god would one day actually follow through and give his son jesus as a sacrifice and he would be slain as a lamb he would be killed he would actually follow through with this walls they just touch us at our deepest places it's so personal walls can can purify our hearts and test our hearts they remind us of what, what's first in my heart, what really matters in this moment. It's like that tea bag, and you put in the hot water, and it's what really comes out. You see, it's at a wall that we learn to relinquish affections that are holding us back from our intimacy with God. It may be a career that we are not willing to put on the altar. And so we're just stuck this side of the wall, and God's pulling it out of you for some reason. He just keeps dealing with you, and you're just kind of miserable on this side of the wall because you don't want to surrender that career. It could be your intellect. You've, you've found comfort in your intellect. I mean, to be the expert in all things, you know, that's a pretty cool place to be, but God's calling you to relinquish that. You're not able to just follow Him with what you know because it's a faith walk. It's a different part of you other than your intellect. How do you deal with that? God may want you to actually trust him, and you may have to embrace mystery along the way. God is a mysterious God. The reason he's God and you're not is you can't figure everything out. That makes him God. If you could figure everything out in your life, well, then you'd be God. You would know it all. Your wall may be an addiction that you just keep coming up to, and you haven't been able to break through. Your wall may be your gifts and talents that you kind of just hold on to as a source of identity. It's where you derive your data your, uh, boys from. And now God starts to strip that. You may be the person that always is the getter done kind of person. You just get it done. And now you're in this season where it's like, I just can't get anything done. <laughs> I can't accomplish anything. And, and you're, you're just being stripped of your strength and your own self. It could be your way of doing church or ministry. You just kind of want it a certain way. You want your life and church and the way of worshiping God to go a certain way, and God's just breaking it all apart. For some of you, it's a wall that brought you here today. You didn't come here thinking, yeah, a wall's brought me here, but, but you realize, you know what, I am at a wall. You're in a shift in the way that you used to follow Jesus. The old way isn't working anymore, and you're finding yourself stripped. I've gone through times, I call it the faces of God, where I worship God and I follow God and I see one face, I know one face of God, and then all of a sudden the face changes and I don't know that aspect of God, I'm not sure who that God is. Truman Capote was a great writer in the 1950s, and he wrote a book called In Cold Blood. Uh, If you see the movie or you read the biography of his life, he wanted, before he wrote this book, he wanted to be the greatest writer in America. That's what he wanted. And so for many years, he worked on this book, and it was kind of one of the first of its kind. It was a historical novel about a true case. But after he wrote the book, after he succeeded and he became world famous His life crashed. He got exactly what he wanted, but his life crashed and he became an alcoholic and he died a very miserable death and he never wrote another book for the rest of his life. But the last thing, near the last thing that he wrote was kind of the statement, if you will, kind of an epitaph. And here's what he says, more tears are shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones. In other words, he got what he wanted, he got his goal, and it wrecked him. And part of what happens at the wall is that we realize what we think is best for us, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes getting to what, what you want makes you realize it can never be what you actually need. And we begin to see the way God wants us to see things in our life. We begin to evaluate, what do I really value in life? Why was I valuing that so much? You've probably heard the, the quote, those whom the gods destroy, they first make famous. Many people, they run after fame, and once they become famous, more often than not, they destroy themselves, they destroy their marriages, their family, and those that they love, all for fame. They're not willing to give it up once they drink from it. The walls that that are in your life come to cause you to reevaluate your life pursuits, to reflect on the person that you're becoming. St. John on the cross in the 1500s, imagine that, wrote a book, a famous book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And anybody who's ever written in the last 500 years about that topic goes back to what he wrote because he he did it with such depth. And he talked about these dynamics of what happens during the dark night of the soul And St. John of the Cross wrote that that certain things happen at the wall, and there at the wall, things get, get uprooted or purged out of us at the wall so that the things of life do not taste so good anymore. I'm getting ready to go on a cleanse on Tuesday. I am not looking forward to that. I know what will happen. I've been through a cleanse before. It's kind of a wall for me. But there's something that happens on the other side of that, on the other side of fasting. There's something that happens when there's a leanness and we begin to, you know what, really all these things, all this stuff, all this comfort, all that I'm after, it does not fulfill me. I want God more. It's about wanting God more than things or success or fame. It's about loving God above all else. It's longing to be with God and that being enough. Whether he ever gives me anything more, whether I ever achieve anything more, just God, I just want God and God being enough. John the Cross wrote that God sends us the dark night of the soul to free us. The wall, the very obstacle that's discouraging you, the very obstacle that's making you feel trapped, is actually meant to free you. It's like an iceberg. The the mass below the surface is greater than what's visible. It's what lies underneath in the unseen place of who I truly am that God wants to work with and deal with. God uses the wall. He uses events and circumstances and illness and pain and all kinds of things in our lives to reveal things that are in our hearts. I want to share with you an interesting list. It was written 500 years ago. And it's called the seven deadly imperfections or spiritual imperfections. And, I, and I've updated some of the words to reflect what the writer intended because some of the language uh, used back then doesn't translate to today. But as I read this list, first of all, this isn't a discouraging list. This is about me saying, you know what, I, I don't want to be defensive this morning. I don't want to be guarded in my heart. I I want God to touch me at a deeper level. That's where we're going with this emotional series. It's going at an emotional, deeper level. And you may want, I'm just going to read this list to you and, and give you an explanation of each one. And you may want to close your eyes during this time. You may want to reflect, is this something that's in my heart? Is this something at my wall that I'm facing? The first thing is pride, the tendency to condemn others and become impatient with others' faults. Is that in me? If it is, God's going to want to deal with that. Secondly is avarice. You're always wanting to learn and read, but unwilling to let God teach you about being poor in spirit. You don't want to be poor in spirit. You know, that's not like one of your New Year's goals that you wrote down. I would like to be poor in spirit this year. And yet that's the kind of goal that God would be most interested in. You want new teachings, new insights, new revelations without changing who you actually are on the inside. The third is pleasure. Seeking blessings and experiences from God more than God himself. Your prayer life being more about what he can do For you and what he can give to you, then your pursuit of him. Fourth, lack of patience. Having little patience to wait on God. Being easily irritated. Quick to take things into your own hands. Number five, spiritual gluttony. You love your Christian life as long as it doesn't involve commitment or too much commitment from you. As long as it fits into convenience. It's like the pleasures of spirituality, of going to church without serving or giving. Spiritual gluttony. Number six, spiritual envy. To feel unhappy when others do well, often comparing ourselves to other people. And lastly, number seven, laziness. You run from that which is hard because your aim in following Jesus is good feelings. And if it feels hard, if it feels awkward, I'll just run. I'll move. I'll do whatever it takes to get out of this situation. St. John of the Cross was saying that God brings us through the dark night of the soul, the wall, to lose our love for that which will not fulfill us and to learn to fix our eyes on Him. So here's some, here's some takeaways. Number one, recognize your wall. Maybe you've been stuck this side of something for a while now. Or, or you can now look back and you can recognize that that wall has stopped you. Do you learn, grow, or has is, or is it just derailed you for far too long? This is emotional maturity. This is raising our EQ to call a wall what it is, to acknowledge that the wall exists in my life. It's not God's fault. It's not your neighbor's. It's not your church. It's not your family's fault. Walls are part of God's plan to perfect your faith. So recognize your wall. Number two, name your wall. What is it that God wants you to break through? Is it family control? Is it to truly love and accept yourself? Because until you truly love and accept yourself, you're, you will remain on this side of the wall. It's like having a governor or a lid on your own life. Is the wall depression, addiction, addiction? a a critical judgmental attitude that just keeps you stuck? Is it unforgiveness, bitterness? Is it it a grief that you won't let go of? What, What is your wall? Name it. And then number three, embrace the wall. Brokenness is good. Don't let pride cause you to resist your state. Humility is good. Becoming dependent on God is really good. At the wall, we begin to name our own issues. We, we, are, we own them. We, we admit them. And we realize what's going on in my life. And instead of being angry and defensive and reacting to the darkness that I'm in or that I'm struggling with, some of us need to realize that the very thing that we're fighting, God is allowing for a purpose. His loving hand is leading me to the very root of who I am, to deal with who I am, and he's allowing some of the difficult stuff around me in my life to bring a clarity of what matters. You know, it wasn't until the prodigal son was actually in the pit with the pigs eating their food that he realized how truly far away from his father's presence he had gone. Where are you at spiritually? Father, God is waiting for us to see so that some of us can return and face our wall. As the worship team comes out to join me, I want you to hear, just hear this. God is emptying you of things that you're holding on to so that you will learn only to hold on to Him. It's scary, but it's a wonderful place. And God's promise to you is that if you will stay with me at the wall and not quit, not shrink back, not retreat, not detour, he says, I'll bring you through the wall. I'll bring you through the other side as a completely changed person. God is faithful. He's faithful to complete the work that he's begun in your life. He's a really, really good father. Would you stand with me? Let's just enter into a time of worship.